0: Church, thanks so much for being here. I'm Dr. T. I'm teaching pastor here. I'm going to share a little bit of my story. I want to explain this uh, uh, parting gift that I brought with me today. So uh, my wife and I, um, almost 10 years ago to the day, moved from north central Arkansas to northeast Louisiana. So we lived in north central Arkansas in a place called Searcy, Arkansas. So if you look at the middle of nowhere in the United States... That's Cersei, okay? Uh, so I, uh, we lived in Cersei for four years. I finished a degree in Cersei, And uh, th- this is a true story. Uh, we moved August of 2010 away from Cersei. We had a 14-day-old daughter and an 18-month-old son. And the day before my graduation, we sold our home in Cersei and we loaded all our belongings up on a U-Haul trailer, slept in basically an empty house, tossed our mattresses on the U-Haul, hopped in the U-Haul, drove to the graduation ceremony. I walked across the stage, got my degree, walked off the stage into a U-Haul and drove to North uh, East Louisiana from the graduation stage. It was crazy. And we didn't know anybody in northeast Louisiana. And if you don't know anyone in Louisiana and you move there to live there, it feels like you've moved to a third world country. They talk differently down there. They act differently down there. Uh, We learned that shopping carts are not called shopping carts in Louisiana. They're called buggies. You've heard of this? In Louisiana, they don't turn off any lights. They cut the lights off. You know what I'm talking about? I didn't either when I moved down there. So we moved down there. The only place we even had a point of reference for was this church that a lot of my friends were like, you gotta go to this church, you gotta check out WFR. Um, And so we're trying to make a good good impression. We're in a new community. We decide we're gonna go to WFR church. I wear a suit and a tie. My wife wears a women's professional uh, dress suit thing. And um, what we didn't know at the time that we found out really quickly is that Whitesbury Road is the home of the Duck Dynasty family, the Robertsons, and the Sunday we visit is a Sunday they call Duck Commander Sunday. And once a year, everybody wears camo. Every duck hunter paints their faces. They got duck calls. So here walk Trent and Kirsten into the church, suits, ties, professional, and it's Duck Commander Sunday, Trace Church. Everybody in the church, head to toe, camouflage, face paint, duck calls, waiters. I think somebody even had a shotgun with them that particular Sunday. And I look over at my wife. We're originally from Wichita, Kansas. And I said, babe, We're not in Kansas anymore, and that's the God's honest truth. Uh, WFR Church became our church home. It was just a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, body of Christ followers that really did love Jesus and really loved people. And over the next 10 years, I started pastoring the church and got to do a lot of ministry with a lot of great people. And God, uh, to make a long story short, starts stirring my heart and my wife's heart Uh, in late 2018, early 2019, that it's time for us to make a change. We didn't know at the time God was leading us to trace church into this community, Um, but we end up moving here in March of 20, and before we left, uh, our elders called us on stage, and the elders at WFR Church had become some of my most influential mentors and some of my very best friends. So they call us on the stage and they pray for us and they send us off with a parting gift of a wash basin and a towel. Today I wanna talk to you about the long game, service. I wanna talk to you about service. And the parting gift that WFR Church left my wife and I in a sense is the same parting gift Jesus left his closest friends before his, his betrayal, his torture, and his eventual crucifixion. I want to pick up the story in John's gospel starting in chapter 13. Here's what the Bible says. It was just before the Passover festival and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. I love this part of this verse here. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel that might have looked something like that around his waist. And after that he poured water into a basin he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, let me, let me give you some context here from, from the Gospel of John, the story John wrote about his good friend Jesus. The first chapter through the 12th chapter of John are what some scholars call the Book of Signs. Man, John just does an awesome job telling the story about Jesus in in part and initially based on the miraculous signs that Jesus was performing. Water is turning to wine. People who had been blind from birth are able to see because of the miraculous ministry of Jesus. People who have never heard anything in their lives are able to hear the lame walk. Sins are being forgiven, and the religious world of Jesus' day is literally being turned upside down down. That's the book of signs. And John's telling us, this is not just any old guy. This person is capable of the extraordinary, of the miraculous, and something big is going on. And then chapter 14 through chapter 21 of John's gospel, right after chapter 13, from chapter 14 to the very end, those last seven chapters are called the book of glory. And that's when we see really who this miraculous man really is. And as it turns out, he is the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of God himself. And in that last part of John's gospel, the book of glory, we get Jesus' most intimate teaching to his closest friends. And then we read the story of his betrayal, his torture, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, and then his ascension. But packaged in between these two movements of this story is John chapter 13. And and if you really comb through the story of of Jesus through the eyes of John, what you'd realize is that John chapter 13 and verse one is the first time in the story that Jesus is referred to having loved his closest friends, his disciples. And having loved those who were in the world John says he loved them to the very end. Now, John's gospel gives us a lot of language about love that we're familiar with, right? We hear that God loves the whole world as demonstrated through sending his son. We hear about the father loving the son and the son loving the father, but it's this moment in John's story where we learn about the love Jesus had for his 12 disciples, for his closest friends and followers. And that phrase in Greek is actually pretty, pretty interesting. We translate it as he loved them to the end. Well, that does mean like the end in terms of time or chronology. The love Jesus had for his followers was a love that makes it to the finish line. It's a love that always measures up. It's a love that never fails. That's what John is saying. But he's also saying this is love that's like the greatest kind of love we know, the end of all other types of love, a love to the utmost. What kind of love is that? A love that loves people all the way to the finish line, that always measures up, that never fails. A love that's demonstrated as a love to the utmost. Well, that's what Jesus showed us in this passage. That love, that kind of love, Jesus' kind of love in action is service. Another way of saying that is love's long game is service. And in our culture, unfortunately, we we have devalued this idea of love. Uh, Love love is no longer um, something that's immeasurably great or wonderful. We, in our culture, often define love as a feeling and we've simplified it to the point of just chemical release. If you feel serotonin and you feel some dopamine and you got butterflies in your stomach when you're looking at your beloved, then it's love. But the second you stop feeling butterflies and amorous feelings, uh, it's just not love at that point. Our culture also describes love as something that should be easy. And the cultural narrative is that love shouldn't take work. It shouldn't feel hard. And it should never feel uncomfortable. And if love takes work and it's hard and it's uncomfortable, you should just leave because that's not love. That's not what Jesus' example shows us. Jesus says love is so much more than a feeling. Love for Jesus is an action. Action. And if, if we look at the, the love style of Jesus, we see what kind of action love really is. Now, lo- love can be a lot of different kind of actions technically, right? It can be an, an affectionate gesture. That's an act of love. It might be a, an affirmative or a validating word. That's an act of love. But for the last 12 years, I have walked alongside families in various moments in their journey. And when I consider what love looks like day after week after month after year, what the deepest, most profound expression of love looks like is service. It's service. And if we look at how service should be defined based on Jesus' example of serving his closest friends and followers by washing their feet, and we consider who Jesus is, then what service should be defined as is lowering our status and providing supportive, encouraging care for people, especially those who don't deserve it. That's what service really is. And service costs something. Service costs something. If it's that kind of service, someone has to pay the price for service. I'd say it like this, the cost of service, what what we have to pay is called sacrifice. That's the cost of service. And years ago, I was considering this idea and I came up with this formula that I wanna show you. I, I like formulas, I teach. So here's the formula. If you're taking notes, write this down. The formula is T plus E cubed, which is service. Now, I admit this is a little bit less complex than Einstein's theory of relativity. I admit that, right, I still hope to win some kind of a Nobel Prize for this work, but, but here's, now I'm being funny there, but I do think that this idea can be equally as powerful as E equals MC squared. So let me translate this equation for you really quick. The T stands for time, time. And great things in life last, and they require some investment of time. Not on that list, not on things that are better as, as they last are sermons, right? About 30 minutes into a sermon, I'm hearing from the back row, Trent, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let these people go, right? Uh, not on that list of things that get better the longer they last, are prayers right before we eat if we're really, really hungry. Those don't belong on the time makes things better list. One thing that does is marriage. According to Guinness Book of World Records, the record for the longest marriage true story is 90 years, 297 days. The Chandra family who lived in Europe were married for over 90 years. That's wonderful. It's football season. I'm a huge football fan. I think football games are wonderful to the extent that they last a long time. Longest football game in history lasted seven hours. Christmas Day, 1971, Miami Dolphins versus uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, seven hours. Love is something that's wonderful the longer it lasts. But it's not just time required to equal service. It's not, it's not just time. You have to have effort and energy and be engaged in the task at hand to get service. Imagine I'm going to practice basketball at a, at a health club and those of you who know me know I blew out my knee playing basketball so my basketball plan days are over. But imagine if I was playing basketball and I walked into the gym and I just sat down and waited for some time to pass. That's not of any value. But what if I put some effort into practicing and every shot I took, I wrote down whether I missed or I made it and I, I had a coach there who's telling me, hey, it, it's the right kind of energy, the wrong kind of effort. You gotta make this adjustment to your form and, and it doesn't look like you're paying attention to it. You really gotta focus in, you gotta stay engaged. Man, the difference in benefit from that kind of investment in time versus just sitting there and waiting, the, waiting for the clock to tick is, is incalculably different and greater. So that's what we're meaning when we're talking about service. That's what service is. And now think of, think, of, think of what's happening in John's gospel. Think of who is in the room that he's serving. And think of the cost to serve. Each person in that room. I got a continuum here that I want to show you. I'm not sure if we have this on the screen. The cost of service. So there's a couple of types of people in the upper room with Jesus in that moment. The first type are guys that Jesus would consider family. That's the low cost of service kind of group. And one of those guys would have been John who writes the story of Jesus we call John's gospel. And, and John refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved, he was steadfast, he was unwavering, he was committed, and he really loved Jesus. So as Jesus picks up the towel and gets over to John, man, that's a low-cost moment of service. It's easy to wash John's feet. But then Jesus would have gotten to Peter. Right? Peter would have also been one of Jesus' closest friends, the Three closest were Peter, James, and John. But if you keep reading John chapter 13, you realize that uh, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're gonna deny me three times. That's a pretty good picture of who Peter was. He was zealous, he was enthusiastic, he was motivated, but he was also a little bit inconsistent and had some integrity struggles. And he would deny Jesus, that he even knew him. So when Jesus bends down to wash Peter's feet, that's a little bit more of a cost of service. But what about when Jesus gets to Judas, the betrayer, and bends down and with his wash basin and towel, washes the feet of one of his closest friends, who would end up handing him over to be tortured and crucified. And one thing that's interesting about Judas, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four stories in the Bible that tell us about the life of Jesus, we hear about like John's uh, or or, or Peter's tendency maybe to doubt and have low integrity or Thomas who also struggles with doubt or some of the character defects of the other disciples. But you know who we never hear a bad report of until the moment of betrayal? is Judas. And so Judas must've been this guy that like had doubts and had fears and had uncertainties, just stuffed them and didn't talk about them. Never asked Jesus about those things. And what scares me maybe the most about that is that that reminds me of me and of how sometimes my heart gets focused on me and my own fears and my own doubts and Jesus washes Judas's feet anyway. So what you can see here like if this is the least cost and this is the greatest cost, the farther emotionally removed from me a person becomes, the greater the cost to serve that person. But the greater the cost to serve, the more positive the influence on the person doing The serving, and here's why. Because serving others, service redirects the attention of our hearts. Service redirects the attention of our hearts. And so I've I've put this in a in another chart for you. I want you to be able to see this. I want you to see it visually. Of what effect serving others has on us. So it changes our heart's attention. It brings some things out of focus and other things into deeper focus. So when I'm serving others, my focus changes from being oriented towards myself and gets locked into the people I am serving. So there were people, uh, researchers in my field who were interested on how a person's focus on themselves Negatively influenced, hold on now, just listen to this. Negatively influenced are post-event processing tendencies. So researchers were interested on how a person's uh, level of focus on their own self influenced their post-event processing tendencies. And what post-event processing is, I'm going to give you an example. you ready for this? Have you ever said to yourself something like, I can't believe I said that. Why did I say that? That's post-event processing. You're taking an event that's already happened and you're analyzing your performance in that scenario, right? Or have you ever said to yourself, I I can't believe I did that. Why did I do that? That's post-event processing. And so one of the things the researchers had to establish was a baseline. And what they found is that almost every person that they interviewed uh, tended to be really negative in their post-event processing habits. So most people, when we consider something we've done in the past, really consider our performance to be really negative, okay? And what the researchers were interested in figuring out is if they focused the attention on participants towards themselves, would their post-event processing tendencies even become worse? And so what they did is they asked people to participate in this study. It was in 2011. And people who said, yep, I want to be in the study, the researchers were really mean and like it was morbid. And So when participants would come in to like do the study, researchers would say, oh, Trent, why did you do your hair like that today? I'm like, what? Does my hair look kind of funky? They'd be like, Trent, I can't believe you wore a black shirt to this, to this research study. Like black doesn't seem like it's really your color. Or they'd say something like, man, how long has it been since you've washed those jeans? They're like wrinkly. And so what what they're doing is they're orienting my attention towards me. And then they give me an assignment to go talk to a person and ask them this battery of questions. And then they assess how I assess myself after I ask this, this person this battery of questions. And you know what they found? That the more they focused a person's attention on themselves the more those people were abusive to themselves in their post-event processing analysis. What's a way to simplify that study? Here it is. The more you focus on yourself in life, the more miserable you'll be. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us through service. It moves our attention from ourself to others. It also takes our natural world our horizontal world out of focus and brings the supernatural into focus. When I'm focused on myself and I'm paying attention to the horizon line, I'm thinking about my wants, my needs, my desires, and my comfort. And even if I can achieve some of those things, they're always very fleeting and not genuinely satisfying. So I want more, I want more, I want more. But when I'm focused on others and I'm allowing myself to be a conduit of the love of Jesus and I serve people, I'm thinking about his love for them and his love for me. I'm thinking about his power and his majesty and his might and the victory that I have in him and the purpose he has for me in his kingdom. And that's a much better focus. And so what happens is the Natural world fades and I begin to get attuned with the supernatural. Feelings of sadness, worry, and anxiety start to dissipate and get out of focus. And feelings of joy begin to be experienced in my life. So there was another study done in 2007. I like research. I pulled this for the purposes of this lesson. And in in the state of Wisconsin, some researchers surveyed people every year for like 25 years. It's called the Wisconsin Longitudinal Analysis. And that body of data is really significant in the social sciences. And so they asked participants like hundreds and hundreds of questions. And then what researchers did when they wanted to know something about people is they took that data set and they like analyzed one data point on it to try to track people's experience with that particular construct over time. All right, lots of technicalities there. But a group of researchers in 2007 were interested in in the effect volunteering had on people in general. So what data set did they pull because they didn't want to survey a whole lot of people? The Wisconsin longitudinal, longitudinal study data. And in 2007, they looked at the lifespan, the mortality rate, the physical illness rates, and the reported well-being rates of people who also reported they consistently participated in volunteer work. And what we found in 2007 was that consistent volunteering has three really significant effects on people. Listen to this. The first effect of volunteering, if it happens consistently over time, is it actually reduces mortality rates and prolongs the lifespan of people who consistently volunteer. Can you believe that? Second effect, it reduced the length of time it took for someone to have a, a, a major medical illness or event. So the average season of life, people had major medical illnesses, was much later for people who consistently volunteered than for people who didn't. That's incredible. Third major effect of volunteering for people who consistently volunteered is they had overwhelmingly better self-reported measures of well-being. So when, when researchers looked at how they described their overall feelings about their life, people who consistently volunteered said, I feel like it's good. And in some cases, I feel like it's great. Now think about this for just a second, Trace Church. What if I came today and I pulled out of my pocket a pill? What if I said, Trace, let me tell you about this pill. If you'll take it, and you'll take it consistently every day, it'll have three effects on you. You'll live a longer life, you'll have less major medical problems, and you'll feel way better about your life and your situation for the rest of your life. If I had that pill and I asked you to buy it from me at some point after service, almost everybody in this auditorium and those watching in line would find a way to get the funds to buy the pill. But it's not a pill that you need to achieve those three things. It's service. It's service. It's to learn to love in action the way Jesus shows us to love by serving others. This is why in John 13 and 15, Jesus says, I've left you this example so you should do as I have done for you. The symbol of discipleship that Jesus leaves us with is service. Service is the symbol of discipleship that Jesus left us with. I want you to go back to that story I told you about WFR Church and my parting gift, right? So the elders uh, call Kirsten and I on stage. These guys are my closest friends and mentors. I love these guys. And they give us this parting gift. They kind of bring it out and I can't really see it. And I'm like, oh man, this is cool. You know, I've slaved away here in ministry for 10 years. I can't wait to see what they're gonna give me. And if, if my elders watch this, I felt such a sense of joy and elation at their gift. But that wasn't all that I felt. To an extent, I felt like a little disappointed and maybe even upset. Why? Because I don't always want this to be my greatest aspiration in discipleship and ministry, Trace Church. You know what I want sometimes? I'm being honest. I want like a new car. Right? Not a wash basin and a dirty towel. You know what else I want sometimes to be like the banner of discipleship and ministry? These guys left me with like a down payment on a house. Colorado Springs real estate crazy, right? That's what I want. But that's not what my my closest friends and most influential mentors <laughs> left me with as a symbol of my calling and mission in life. They left me with a wash basin and a towel. You know what symbol Jesus left for each of us? The same one, a wash basin and a towel. Man, sometimes I don't like that. Sometimes I wish He would have left a national flag and that could be the banner of my discipleship and calling. Sometimes I wish he would have left me with the political system, but he didn't. And incidentally, Jesus didn't leave us with the theological system either. Man, it would have been wonderful if it was like sets of encyclopedias that perfectly outlined theology for us. That's not what he left either. Man, sometimes I wish the symbol of my... Calling and ministry would have been like a close group of friends who would never leave you know, or forsake me, who would always speak well of me, right? But that's not the symbol Jesus left me with. The one he left me with and you with that we can never get away from is a wash basin and a dirty towel. That's the symbol of our discipleship and the symbol of our calling and the symbol of our mission. And people will ask me over the course of a week, they'll say, Dr. T, I just feel a little bit spiritually just kind of in a funk. I feel a little bit like I'm in a dry season. And I'll say, well, tell me what's going on. They're like, well, you know, I, I read my Bible, and I, and I pray, and I show up to church, and I, I'm listening to wholesome stuff, and, I'm watching wholesome stuff, but I'm just not feeling it. And for some of those people, and if that's true, for some of you, what you need to do is pick up the mantle that Jesus left us with and serve. Maybe the next step in your faith journey is to go talk to Dacia about being a part of our Next Steps team and, and helping disciple people who are new here at Trace Church. We need you to do that. Maybe, maybe what you need to do is talk to Josiah or Jessica, our children's ministry and youth ministry director, to say, "Guys, I love, want to love on some kids. I want to help. I want to get involved." Man, we need you for that. Or, may, or maybe what you need to do is get on our greeting team and stand out in front of our church and, and show people your pearly whites as they're walking into Trace Church. Maybe feeling broken and messed up and empty inside, but they see you and they tell themselves, "Man." Maybe something will change for me today. We need you to do that. But for some of you, this is not the towel you need. For some of you, the towel you actually need is this one. And some of you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And this is your next step. And if you were being honest with yourself, you'd say, you know what, Trent? My life lacks purpose. My sins haven't been forgiven. I don't feel like I've been cleansed. I need to be a part of this kingdom that you're talking about. I'm ready for change. I'm ready for healing. I'm ready to pledge my life to the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. If that's you, this is the towel you need first. And I'm so excited to report that we have 15 people who have picked up these towels who will follow uh, Jesus Christ in water baptism for our fifth year anniversary at Trace. Give it up, Trace Church. Yeah. So I'm gonna go into uh, our response time now. And I want you to search your heart. And I want you to take your choice of towels. Is God calling you to serve others? as the next step in your faith journey. Man, if that's you, after I pray, I I just ask you to search your heart and connect with one of our leaders here at Trace. and Let's start talking about a way you can use your gifts for the benefit of others in the kingdom of God. Some of you don't need that towel. You need to surrender to Jesus in baptism. If that's you, after I pray, when we move into our re- response time, I challenge you to pick up one of these towels, and in so doing, make the commitment that you'll obey Jesus in water baptism next week when we celebrate our five-year anniversary at Trace. Our response time is also a moment in our service where you can take communion. Our communion's open here at Trace. If you're a regular attender or if you're just visiting, uh, there's four places around this auditorium. Indicated by crosses on the wall, that you can pick up a communion cup. And in the same way food sustains our physical bodies, communion with Jesus sustains our entire existence. So we want you to be encouraged by participating in communion with us this morning. And we depend as a church on your generosity. Trace. Is a church not just in this community, but of this community. And we can do what we get to do in ministry because of your partnership with us financially. You can give with us online through our our app or via text. There's a card in, on the seat back in front of you that gives you some of those instructions. Thank you for your partnership in our ministry here at Trace. I'm going to pray. And if you need to serve, if you need to surrender, or if you just need to fellowship with God, please take some time to consider that. Let's bow. Precious Heavenly Father, come before you. Just so, so thankful for the leadership and example of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, I just ask that we would be obedient and following his example and serve. For lots of us, that's the next right step in our walk. God, some of us have not surrendered our lives fully to Jesus. And we need to make that commitment today. I ask that anybody in that place would just be willing to surrender. And God, some people in this auditorium, and watching online just need to be encouraged this morning by the fellowship we have and friendship we have with Jesus. I ask that hearts are encouraged and that lives are renewed and restored and that people walk away from this place just invigorated because of the love and friendship they have with Jesus. Thank you so much for this time together. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name.